0: Good morning. good morning thank you uh, choir musicians and uh, thank you people of God for joining us this morning um, we have a, a heavy a heavy topic today um, and so we're just going to see what the what the Lord has for us this morning um, I welcome you all again and I want to pray for us before we uh, get to where we're going. So let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. I just pray, Lord, now that you would, uh, minister to us, that you would speak to us, that you would grant us healing, hope, faith, love, obedience to you. Please minister to us now, Lord, the gospel of grace. Help us see how your way, Lord, is far better than ours. And, um, And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live faithfully in an age, Lord, that does not heed your good design. And I pray that you would help us to uphold in the way that we conduct our lives, the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about the works of the flesh, part one, sexual sin. The works of the flesh, part one, sexual sin. There was a movement in the 60s and 70s, closely associated with the feminist movement called the sexual revolution. Uh, It had a base assumption that traditional... Sexual morality was part and parcel of the white male patriarchy used to keep women down. And they argued that for a person to be truly liberated and self-actualizing, that we should be able to have sexual relationships with whenever, whoever, however we wanted to. And to deny that right was to deny the full personhood of the individual. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but They've won the cultural war. The, the, those in the, the elite in this country, those who uh, run the media, news outlets, and um, uh, the internet, social media, those who um, control Hollywood, which is our entertainment media, which ho- largely influences people, and those who basically control most of our higher, uh, institutions of higher education, our universities and such, all embrace this worldview, this sexual revolution, this sexual ethic. This is a serious problem for those of us who follow Christ. And I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, sexually immoral behavior is not just a side issue that we can ignore because it sends people to hell. It reflects a heart of unbelief towards God and His good design. It destroys what God meant to be sacred. It rends homes and families into pieces, and it puts children in incredibly difficult and sometimes insurmountable circumstances. And this sin is running rampant outside and inside the church. So we must talk about it because Jesus talked about it, because Paul talked about it, because God talks about it. And we must tell our children about it because if you don't tell your children about it, somebody will. And if you don't talk about it, they will learn it from somebody else. And they'll learn it in elementary school, in middle school and high school. And if you don't tell them what God thinks about it and how they should think about it, they'll think about it the way other people tell them to. So we've got to talk about it. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. We're going to read the long portion of the scripture, but I'm just going to be focusing on three words this morning. But I will we'll read the passage for context. idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The word of God. You may be seated. Today's sermon is going to be about three words. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality. So we're going to look at each of these in turn. Number one, sexual immorality. The works of the flesh, the first three Paul lists, The very first one he lists is called sexual morality. Sexual morality comes from the Greek word. The Greek word is porneia. It's where we derive our word pornography. Porneia is a general term that essentially refers to any and all sexual impropriety. So you remember, Paul and Jesus were Jews, okay? The Jews, if you've been reading the Old Testament with us through our daily Bible reading plan, you've learned that uh, there's a very, the Jews have a, a very strong sexual ethic. Well, Paul and Jesus were Jews. And from what they taught, it is clear that they believe that the, the sexual ethic in the Bible carries on into the New Covenant, into Christianity, that is, when Jesus and when Paul forbade, when it says, Paul says the works of the flesh is sexual immorality, pornea, it is undeniable that they were prohibiting any and all sexual activity with anyone who is not your spouse. So, you have a circle. Let's say there's a circle. Inside that circle is you, and if you are married, you're... Your spouse, now, of course, and clearly the Bible is, understands that marriage is only between one man and one woman for life. So, you have a circle, and inside that, if you are married, inside that circle is you and your spouse, according to God's definition of marriage. Any sexual activity outside that circle is forbidden. Any outside that circle is forbidden. This includes, though I shouldn't have to say this, but I, I, I will, it includes strangers. It includes a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not your spouse. Your fiancé is not your spouse. Unless their name is with your sign on a signed marriage certificate, and you have made lifelong vows of a of, uh, to covenant with them for better or for worse for rich or for poor till death do us part they're outside of the bounds of the biblical sexual ethic now Jesus of course takes this much deeper because Jesus says that if you lust after someone in your heart you have committed adultery in other words sexual morality for Jesus is not just constrained to external actions, but it is the condition of your heart. Therefore, hear me now, it is possible then, and in some cases likely, that some of the most sexually immoral people in this world never acted out, but they are filthy on the inside. You see, the world has hijacked sexuality from the church. You see, sometimes it's hard to talk about because we we kind of think, well, church is not the realm for that. And I hope I'm not catching too many people by surprise, but this needs to to be clear. God made sex. It's his. He owns it. It belongs to him. And it doesn't matter how many people out there... uh, Uh, make it filthy God still made it good and it belongs to the church it belongs to Christians it belongs to us God made Adam and Eve and he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good God officiated the first wedding He took Adam and Eve, and he put them in covenant with one another, in covenant with himself. God gave them the gift of sexuality, and he also gave this gift boundaries. The best example I know is that sex is like a fire. I don't know a single person who on a nice... Cold winter's day doesn't like a fire in the fireplace. It's warm. It gives heat. It gives light. You can cook over it. If you're lost in the woods in the bitter cold, it can save your life. Fire is good inside the fireplace. But if you take fire out the fireplace, it burns the house down. it burns and consumes and destroys everything in its path marriage is the fireplace and when you take it out it destroys the sexual revolutionaries decided that they wanted to play with fire and now their children and grandchildren are paying the consequences just to give one example Uh, Sex outside of marriage is obviously one of the major causes of fatherless homes, and children raised in fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of runaway children, 85% of behavior disorders, 71% of high school dropouts, 80% of rapists, 71% of teenage pregnancy, 90% of adolescent arsonists. Now, of course, of course, of course it doesn't mean that a child that's raised in a fatherless home is destined for these kinds of things. Not at all. God's grace covers a multitude of sin, but it means that what we see in reality is playing out what God said would happen when we abuse his good gifts. In other words, we would be naive and foolish not to see what is happening in our world when we when we abuse what God has made to to, to be good and... and pervert it. And the world and its sexual revolutionaries, they normalize sin. And get this, hear me now, they propagate the lie that sex is ultimate. In other words, they're te- and I've talked about this before, it's teaching people to find their identity in their sexuality. And that's just a lie. It's not who you are. And it hardens people's hearts towards God because they think that I must do this. I must have this to be truly happy. And God is saying, you're going to ruin yourself. You want to be happy? You come to me because I made you. And only I can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. We need to make sexuality sacred again. And so I'll just, I'll just plead. I'll just give a bank, blanket plea right now as, a, as your pastor and as a friend and as a brother in Christ. If you are harboring any kind of lust in your heart, if you are engaged in any kind of sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage, I beg you and plead with you in Jesus' name. Confess, repent, turn, and be healed. And you can be saved, and you will be saved, and you will be forgiven, and you will be cleansed, and you will be made new. And the, the Holy Spirit will come into your life and renew your heart and renew your mind and give you new ways to look at the world. It will change everything if you will turn to the Lord. I cannot talk about this issue without talking about the issue of Pornography. This survey that I'm about to reference, or one survey that was given 10 years ago, so the Lord only knows what it's like today, found that 9 out of 10 boys and 6 out of 10 girls were exposed to pornography before the age of 18. The average age of first exposure is 12 years old. I'm pretty sure it's younger than that now. If you know anything about the Internet, what I'm about to say is going to blow your mind. Pornographic websites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Pornography accounts for 30% of all data transferred across the internet. 71% of teens hide their online behavior from parents. 71% excuse me, 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. That's just generally. Now I'm going to talk about Christians, people who claim to be Christians. One Barna study said that from their survey, 77%, 77% of Christian men between the ages of 18 and 30 view pornography monthly. 36% daily. Another survey of that, a website called Desiring God, which is, a, a, a very conservative Christian website, surveyed 8,000 of their readers. So I took this because I'm assuming that people who visit this website are generally, would generally be very conservative Christians that, um, that would agree with us on, on doctrine. Okay? The study of 8,000 of their readers found this. More than 15% of men over age 60 admitted to ongoing use, pornography. in their 50s, 25% for men in their forties, 30% for men in their 30s, nearly 50% of self-professing Christian men between 18 and 29, of the readers of this Christian conservative Christian website, 50% between ages of 18 and 29 men acknowledge ongoing use of pornography. There is an epidemic. I'm telling you, it's an epidemic. It's destroying the fabric of our society. I'm telling you. Couple this with the fact that uh, pornography is highly addictive. It stimulates the release of dopamine in your brain, which mimics the effects of drugs, which makes it highly addictive. And it cre- regular use creates pathways in your brain and uh, and the more dopamine your brain produces, the less sensitive it becomes. In other words, pornography creates the tolerance effect. It's like a drug. Why do you think Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lusts? Why do you think he told the Corinthians to flee sexual morality? He told the Colossians to put sexual morality to death. The author of Hebrews said that there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Why is sexual morality and lust wrong? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, it defies the purpose for which God created sex. That is... God created things to work in a certain way, and to go against God-created order is to go against the wisdom and the knowledge of God himself. It is saying, it is claiming that you know better than God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God said, don't do this, and they said, I'm not so sure about that. If you get a warranty on an item that warranty is immediately void when you do not use the product for its intended purpose. If we will pay the consequences of our sexual morality. Number 2, it is coveting. It is coveting. It is wanting something that's not yours as if it will bring you true happiness and joy when it won't. It can't. I'm telling you, it will leave you more empty than you've ever felt before. It will make you more miserable than you've ever been before. Thirdly, it profanes the image of God. Think about, think about what? Pornography is doing to people's minds. It's training. It's training you to think of other people as nothing more than a body. As nothing more than a sexual object. And what you think that, you think when you turn off the screen that, that, that it, it, you walk away unchanged? Unchanged? No, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you look at people. It profanes the image of God because it takes someone who is made in God's image, an image bearer of the Lord God Almighty, and it reduces them to a piece of meat. Next, is The Bible says that sexual morality is sinning against yourself. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You were made to be a temple of the living God, and that's the next part. It profanes God's temple. So uh, the the very next verse, or... uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You were made to be holy, to be pure, to know the joy and the hope and the freedom that comes from walking before God with a clean conscience. There's nothing like it, I'm telling you. It's sinning against yourself. It's profaning the temple of God. And so with Paul, I plead, flee, repent of sexual morality. Number two, Paul says the works of the flesh are sexual morality. Number two, impurity. Impurity. The Greek word is akartharsia. It refers to defilement or uncleanness. Again, if you've been reading along with us in our Bible study, you will have just learned a lot about this. In fact, you would have learned a lot about it this morning. The Jews had strict laws concerning clean and unclean food, clean and unclean practices. If you some became unclean somehow, perhaps by touching a dead body or eating unclean food, you would have to wash yourself. You'd have to wait at an appointed time uh, before you could become clean. And in some instances, the priest would have to come and sprinkle... the water of purification on you, water that was mixed with the ashes of a burnt heifer. Why would would God do all this? Well, at least one reason for the laws on ritual purity was to distinguish, distinguish Israel from an idolatrous world. It would give them visible practices that would keep them separate and distinct from the pagan nations around them. And it also showed that there was such thing as clean and unclean, pure and impure. And Paul, and, and if you were unclean, you could not approach the tabernacle. You could not offer sacrifices. And so it showed them that there is, a, there is a type of uncleanness and impurity that hinders you from coming into the presence of God. So how are we as Christians to think of these ritualistic cleanliness laws from the Old Testament? What did Jesus have to say about it? Mark chapter 7 verse 18. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of the man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. In other words, the cleanliness laws of the Old Testament were to point us to the ultimate meaning of what it means to be clean and unclean, pure and unpure. What makes one unclean or unclean is not eating certain foods or not touching dead body. The purity that God wants for you is moral purity. He wants you to have a clean heart, a clean conscience. It is sin that makes us unclean before God, impure before God. These are the things that we must be cleansed from So that we can then approach God with boldness and confidence. And that's what Jesus came to do. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13. If the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. They were just pointers to the purity that God wants. And God doesn't want to sprinkle you with water mixed with the hashes of an heifer. He wants to sprinkle you with the blood of Christ and fill you with the Holy Spirit so that your heart and mind are changed. So you don't think the way you used to think. You don't look at other people the way you used to look at them. You are changed from the inside out. You are made clean, whole, pure, no matter what's happened in your past. Changed by God, cleansed. Jesus said that he would wash his bride with water with the word to present her to himself spotless and without blemish. The ultimate cleansing we need is not of the body, but of the soul. And when God comes into our lives by the spirit, it changes us. It purifies everything. The Bible says it actually makes everything pure to us. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Think about about what Paul's trying to say for a minute. If you have a pure heart and mind, everything that you do is going to flow out of that purity of heart and mind. So, therefore, any, the good that you do is flowing from a good heart. It's flowing from a pure heart. It's flowing from a pure mind. Therefore, everything is pure to you. There's a sense of, not naivety, but there's a sense of purity of heart, of innocence about you. You're not going about trying to manipulate people. You're not going about trying to pursue yourself. You're not going about trying to pursue your selfish ends. You don't have ulterior motives. Everything is pure to you because you have a pure heart and mind. But if your heart is impure, then nothing is pure to you. Because everything you do is flowing out of a selfish heart, a selfish mind. You, You have impure motives that you can do even good things for selfish ends. Therefore, even good things you do are impure. And are defiled because of your impure mind. To the pure, all things are pure. That's why, the the thing is, is, apart from Christ, we are all like this. That's why we need Christ to come and cleanse our hearts and give us a pure conscience. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, he says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Think about that. Even the good things that people who don't have Christ do are done out of a heart of unbelief toward God. And therefore, it is not a good act. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Anything that is not done out of a heart to glorify God is sin. Even a good act apart from a pure heart is impure. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3, Paul says, If I give away all I have or deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. What's he saying? He's saying, if I do the greatest act known, and that is give up myself for someone else, if my if my heart is not fueled by love for God and love for man, it's worthless. It's a waste. God came to give us moral, moral purity, including sexual purity, and this means that purity, sexual purity, is far more than just abstinence outside of marriage it is the condition of your heart it's the way you think about God it's the way you think about other people I was a youth pastor for a few years and the, the question you get asked a lot you know kids want to know with their, in their relationships well how far is too far Nine out of ten times, the question tells me a lot about the condition of that child's heart. In other, Because think about it. The question itself betrays this reality. That is, they're, they're not concerned with how much they can honor God. They're concerned with how much they can sin without having to pay for it. But Christ comes in, they want to see how much burning wood they can pull out of the fire without burning their house down. The book of Proverbs says, he who carries burning holes near his chest will get burned. Why in the world would we want to know how close we can get to the edge of a cliff without falling off? Ought not our hearts to be to glorify God as much as we can, to be above reproach, to avoid even the hint of sexual morality, even the, the possible accusation? Christ wants to purify us, to cleanse our hearts and our minds, and that purity is freeing. And if we flee to God through Christ, and his blood is sprinkled upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we will be made pure. He can cleanse your mind. He can change the way you think. Doesn't mean it's magic. Doesn't mean it's automatic. Oh, but it happens. He changes you. Sexual immorality, Paul says, the works of the flesh, impurity. And finally... Finally, sensuality. Sensuality. The Greek word is the word osselgeia. It's kind of a hard word to translate. The Net Bible translates it depravity. Uh, the KJV translates it lasciviousness. When's the last time you used that word in a sentence? The NIV translates it debauchery. ESV, as I've read, translates it sensuality. The word means, the word has a focus on the lack of moral restraint or unbridled passion, a refusal to exercise self-control. And the context is clearly sexual morality, so sensuality, I think, is is a good translation because it means a lack of self-control regarding sexuality. But the The sexual revolution movement framed the issue in terms of rights and freedoms. Their point was that traditional sexual norms were enslaving and controlling. But the Bible says that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. That is that controlling one's passions and fighting sinful desires is not becoming less free. It's becoming more free. It's not not the commands of God that are trying to enslave you. It's your sin that's trying to enslave you. And if you give in over and over again, you will find it almost impossible to escape. Exercising spirit-empowered self-control is not forcing you to be something you're not, it's retraining yourself to be who you were made to be, and to know the hope, peace, and joy that comes from walking in purity of life and a clean conscience before God. Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Colossians three five and six. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you have already been given freedom. Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You can serve sin if you want to, but let me tell you something. That master will, in the end, extract from you a price you don't want to pay. Better than to come under the yoke of Christ. Come under the servanthood of Christ. Why? Because he says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And you will find rest for your soul. If you just put Christ's yoke upon you, uh, open this morning with a passage, and with this I'll be closed. Uh, First Corinthians uh, chapter six. Let's see verse nine. I open with this passage to explain the seriousness of sexual morality, but I didn't read the rest of it. So as I close this morning, I want to read the rest of it. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see it? We are not, we are not, we do not, or we're not bound by our past. If we come to Christ, Christ changes us from who we were. Every one of those sins that he named, Greedy, sexually immoral, covetous, homosexuality, thieves, drunkards, all of those names. There were representatives in the church of Corinth who used to do all those things. But they were washed. They were sanctified. Justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Christ comes and he gives you a new identity and he changes you. And if, so the plea this morning is this. If you have not experienced, if Christ has not come to your life and changed you, you can come to Christ today and be washed. To have your heart and your conscience and your mind made pure, made clean, changed by the power and spirit of our God. And if you do know Christ this morning, then the Lord wants you to know this. That if you have been washed, that means your fundamental identity is now changed. Don't go back. Don't go back. Come to Christ today. Return to Christ today. And you will be changed and you will be healed.